from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, you know that, um, well, you don't, may not know. Why would you know? You've got your own life to live. It, it, it appears that I go back and forth with some frequency between Los Angeles and New Orleans, uh, among other cities, but New Orleans mainly, and Los Angeles mainly. And in that set of peregrinations, it, it something has occurred to me. An observation has, has festered. In most cities, certainly in New Orleans, billboards, outdoor advertising, will uh, be promoting, pitching, flacking, ha- uh, huckstering, Cars, beers, more profoundly intoxicating beverages, lawyers, airlines, department stores. What? Explain that to the kids, will you? You know, stuff to to uh, buy and consume. Restaurants, foods of various sorts, foods foodstuffs of various sorts. Not. I bring this up because the point is not in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, as you drive around, and of course you do drive around, you notice all the billboards, all the outdoor advertising, even the bus benches, which when I was a kid advertised mortuaries, now they all promote flack, hucksterize only one thing. Forms of entertainment. TV shows and movies primarily because there is no record business anymore. TV shows and movies. Now, I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that most of the potential audience for these TV shows and movies does not live in the Los Angeles metropolitan area. So the... the and, and you rarely see these TV shows and movies, well, movies to a lesser degree, the big blockbusters perhaps. Tom? Blockbusters? Mm-hmm. But uh, mainly not advertised with the same ferocity in the cities where the uh, audiences actually live. Where they actually live? Yeah. So I started thinking, what is the point of of this barrage? And it occurs to me that the point of all of these ads is to say to everybody else in show business... I got this. What do you have? I got this deal. I got this show. You? What's your story? Oh. In other words, it's part of what I started referring to as the envy machine. And it becomes, if you're in the entertainment business at all, it becomes overwhelming after a while. Oh, he's got that. Oh, she's got that. Oh, they got. Oh, the envy machine at work. So that thought had occurred to me previously. This week, I happen to be in glamorous North Hollywood. Don't make the mistake of believing that. And um, I came upon an apartment building, a new apartment building, just, just opening up for business. And I was trying to puzzle out what the name of the building was. Because on top, there was an N... And then right below the N, the letters V-E. And I puzzled 
until suddenly it dawned on me. It's the Envy building. Come live in the Envy. You'll be the Envy of everybody in North Hollywood. The Envy machine grinds on. Hello, welcome to the show. of the Envy Machine from the home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to Santa Monica in this week's edition of the show. Hey, guess who is using a private email server to do government business? No, not her. President Trump. <laughs> President Trump. 
No, not President Trump. President Trump's Voter Fraud Commission. Hmm? According to ProPublica, earlier this month, a lawsuit and media reports revealed that the commissioners were using private emails to conduct public business. And Commission Co-Chair Chris Kobach confirmed this week most of them are continuing to do so because nobody minds. It never raises a fuss when that happens. Experts, quoted by ProPublica, and you know who those guys would be, experts say the the commission's email practices do not appear to comport with federal law. That's a nice way of putting it. Quote, the statute here is clear, says a lawyer and former director of litigation at the National Archives. Essentially, he said the commissioners have three options. They can use a government email address. They can use a private email address but copy every message to a government account. Or they can use a private email address and forward each message to a government account within 20 days. Those are the requirements of the Presidential Records Act of 1978, which the commission must comply with under its charter. I blame the charter. All written communications between or among its members involving commission business are permanent records destined to be preserved at the National Archives, says this attorney. Without specific guidance, commission members may not realize their email communications about commission business constitute White House records, unquote. ProPublica reviewed dozens of emails to and from members of the commission, as well as written directives on what to do, how to, how to keep your records. Commissioners appear to have been given no instructions to use government email or copy or forward messages to a government account. Commissioner Matthew Dunlap, Secretary of State for Maine, confirmed he'd received no such instructions. That's news to me, he said. I would think it would be a little cleaner if I had a U.S.gov email account, unquote. No, stay dirty. Dunlap's account of having received no direction, home, a complete unknown, is disputed by Andrew Cossack. Well, the Cossacks are back. He's the executive director of the Voting Fraud Commission. Cossack said attorneys from the Government Services Administration provided training on the uh, Presidential Records Act. I had to look up the initials. Before the commission's first meeting, way back on July 19th, Cossack provided a copy of the PowerPoint presentation, just so I could say a lot of peas into the microphone. However, the word email appears in only a single slide with no mention of anything relating to the use of government email. But the briefer was encouraged to ad lib, I'm sure. Notably, the commission did not receive any training in records retention until at least that July meeting, even though it was formed in May and had actively been engaged in commission business. Those private email servers, they're going, they're going to get you. They just must not have read Hillary's book, is all I can say. You know the one. What happened? And now, news of the godly. Did you know that the Vatican has diplomats in the United States as well as other countries? Yeah, because it's a, it's a, it's a state, the Vatican, a nation state, a teeny one. Anyway, a Vatican diplomat in Washington has been recalled to Rome. No, uh, hello, Roma. After the U.S. State Department said the priest may have violated laws relating to uh, email. No, relating to child sex abuse images. The U.S. State Department notified the Holy See last month of a possible violation of the law. 
American prosecutors said they wanted the Vatican to voluntarily lift the official's diplomatic immunity so that he could face charges. The Vatican refused. The request was made last month. The Vatican said an investigation had been opened and the church was seeking international collaboration to obtain elements relative to the case and would be handled confidentially on a preliminary basis. The priest had already returned to Vatican City. The Vatican said its decision to recall the priest was in line with normal diplomatic practices, you know, when child sexual images are involved. The information was transmitted by the State Department to the Vatican's Secretariat of State, who in turn has turned the matter over to the Vatican's top justice official. I wonder if the Vatican has a Secretary of Agriculture. Can we check that? The folks in the office, oh, there is no office, the Associated Press quoting an official familiar with the case said the priest was a senior member of the Vatican Embassy staff. He could not be prosecuted in the U.S. as a diplomat, though he could have been expelled. It's not the first time the Vatican has been forced to recall a diplomatic official. In 2013, he recalled the then-ambassador to the Dominican Republic following allegations of email... No, that he sexually abused minors. He was defrocked but died before a trial against him began. He never faced a court in the Dominican Republic. Pope Francis has consistently said he has zero tolerance of child sexual abuse. The possession of child abuse images is considered a canonical crime in the church. And uh, Pope Benedict added it to the list of most grave delicts, according to the Catholic News Agency. That means it is a crime that can lead to a priest being dismissed. Or just recalled to Rome. You know, because it's so unpleasant in Rome. And... Dayline Melbourne, Australia, a study that examines child sexual abuse worldwide in the Roman Catholic Church has found that the Australian Church has done less to safeguard children in its care than its counterparts in similar countries. There's a similar country to Australia. The diggers are laggers. The report was released this week by the Center for Global Research at the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. It also found that the Church's requirement that priests be celibate was a major risk factor for abuse. It said the possibility of abuse in Catholic residential institutions, like your orphanages, should be getting more attention, especially in developing countries. The Australian church, as you know, may know, was rocked in June when Cardinal George Pell, an Australian who is one of the Pope's top advisors, became the highest-ranking Roman Catholic prelate to be formally charged with sexual offenses. The report's lead author says its findings point to an urgent need to rethink the priesthood in the 21st century. He said the church should reconsider the celibacy requirement for priests. He, by the way, is a former priest. He's, uh, the reports, he and the report's co-author both ordained priests who resigned in the 1970s. I guess to avoid the celibacy thing? I don't know. They don't say. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, news of APAC! Our friends in Pakistan are um, doing interesting stuff. You saw the story this week, no doubt, about the teenage would-be lovers, both of whom were killed by their families. First the girl, and then a day later the young man. Honor killings and offer killings, too. The... uh, Tradition remains strong in Pakistan of of stuff like that. Uh, Most of the people killed in that way are women, 
and most of the people who um, are the perpetrators are male family members. It's family values. But now there's this. A Christian man who has been sentenced to death on blasphemy charges by a court in eastern Pakistan after a close friend, give me one of those, accused him of sharing anti-Islamic material, according to the defendant's lawyer. Reuters reports this story. Blasphemy, as you know, is a criminal offense in Pakistan. Insults against the Prophet Muhammad are punishable by death. Most cases are filed against members of minority communities. Nadine J- Nadim James was arrested last July, July last year, accused by a friend of sharing material ridiculing the Prophet Muhammad on the WhatsApp messaging service. His lawyer said the client intended to appeal against the verdict. Yeah, I would, I would think so. No, 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 kill me now. There was widespread outrage across Pakistan last April after a student was beaten to death at his university following a debate in the dorm about religion. Police arrested over 20 students and some faculty members in connection with the killing. Since then, the parliament has considered adding safeguards to the blasphemy laws, a uh, kind of a touchy move given the emotional nature of the issue. There have been at least 67 murders over unproven allegations of blasphemy in Pakistan since 1990. That's according to Reuters. And in, ni- in 2011, a bodyguard assassinated the provincial governor of Punjab after he called for the blasphemy laws to be reformed. But don't worry, they have nuclear weapons, our friends in Pakistan. And now, you may remember formaldehyde. It uh, raised its pretty little head uh, as the outgassing of the trailers sent to New Orleans after the flood uh, gave people a, a heady dose of formaldehyde. They're not the only ones. Researchers from the nonprofit research institution Silent Spring have found dozens of harmful chemicals in newly renovated, certified by as LEED, that means green, low-income public housing buildings in Boston. While some of these chemicals came from outside products brought in by the residents, like cleaning supplies, beauty products, and even furniture, many others came from the building itself. We often slap this word green in front of things and assume that means something, says the lead author on the paper. It was renovated according to green standards, and if you could see me, I'm putting green in quotes. The researchers there aren't alone in calling attention to the harmful chemicals in building materials. The U.S. Green Building Council has come under fire from researchers for presenting a false assurance of health and safety in its LEED certified buildings. In 2013, this researcher, Robin Dobson, and her team took air quality samples at a low-income housing development in Boston, public housing, that was being renovated to achieve the LEED certification. Perfect test for uh, the apartment's air quality before anyone moved in, and then after residents occupied the space. The comparison was crucial, distinguishing which chemicals came from the uh, people who moved in and which came from the building. They tested for almost a hundred different chemicals, including your phthalates. That's uh, found in nail polish remover, flame retardants, pesticides, and formaldehyde. Ultimately, the researchers found harmful flame retardants, including a carcinogen that can cause lower fertility in men, that appeared to come from building materials. Another flame retardant found in their tests had been banned 
In 2005, it was likely used in an old piece of furniture that a resident brought in. That's how pervasive harmful chemicals can be once they're used. The uh, most troublesome finding in all 37 tests they did, the researchers found our old friend formaldehyde coming from the building and from the residence, and it exceeded safe levels determined by the EPA. I blame the EPA. Formaldehyde is used in a wide range of products and building materials. It shows it's been shown to cause cancer in lab animals. High exposure might also cause cancer in humans. You want to take it? Let's take a chance. What the hell? Dodson argues the study is proof the building industry needs to dramatically shift how it thinks about health as an element of sustainability. Why not be more comprehensive in your thinking? It's not just about energy efficiencies. Are we improving health? She asks. Studies show low-income people and minorities suffer more from diseases linked to low air quality than do their affluent neighbors. According to another author of the paper and an assistant professor of environmental health and exposure disparities at Harvard School of Public Health, this means these groups of people are more likely to suffer from diseases tied to contaminates in, contaminants in their environment, like asthma. When there are toxic chemicals floating around inside public housing, it perpetuates the disproportionate impact on these populations. Uh, Dobson says she was surprised to found traces of chemicals used in sunscreens and nail polish potentially used in the building's floor finishes. That's not necessarily dangerous to humans unless you polish your nails with the floor. But the finding indicates just how little information there is about what goes into our building materials. So it's not just the, the crappy finishes on the public housing buildings on the outside of the public housing buildings in Britain. It's the crap on the insides on the public housing buildings in the United States. See a trend? I don't.
Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? This is Lachaud from Santa Monica, by the way, in case you were wondering. Don't wonder. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Wondering is bad for your health. As is almost everything else, this September, the extent of Arctic sea ice shrank to roughly 1.8 million square miles. Determined by researchers at the Alfred Wegener Institute, the University of Bremen, and Universität Hamburg. Though slightly larger than last year, the minimum sea ice extent this year is average for the past 10 years, far below the numbers from 1979 to 2006. Well, it was was different then. The Northeast Passage was traversable for ships without the need for icebreakers or even just a conversation starter. The sea ice in the Arctic is considered a critical element in climate processes and valuable early warning system for global warming, accordingly, which doesn't exist, of course. The September minimum extent is an important indicator of climate change. Despite an especially warm winter, the current extent of sea ice does not represent a new record low because uh, summer was cool, but the amount of ice loss is massive. A sea ice physicist, Marcel Nicola, from the Alfred Wegener Institute, explains this year's sea ice extent is again on a very low level, the observed September value of the last 11 years has consistently been lower than in any previous year. This winter, the Arctic remained unusually warm. The sea ice coverage in March was lower than in any March before. I blame March. Thanks to the relatively cold summer, the sea ice managed to bounce back, but this year's September minimum is by no means a good sign. From Universitat Hamburg, though the amount of sea ice is, of course, subject to natural fluctuations, the long-term decline, he says, is obvious. The summertime minimums in the 70s and 80s were roughly 2.7 million square miles compared to the 1.8 million now. Do the math. Hey, do the math. Climate scientists have worked for years to calculate how a warmer atmosphere might impact human life on Earth. Now scientists at Scripps Institution of Oceanography down at UC San Diego have published new calculations that find a small potential for global warming of such significance, it could wipe out life on Earth. So uh, maybe get the term life insurance. The paper published this week says there is a 1 in 20 chance of catastrophic change by 2050. That would mean most people would have problems adapting to the change in climate. There's a smaller chance of an existential change, meaning bye-bye humanity. Cue the bonobos, please. When we say 5% probability high-impact event, people may dismiss it as small, but it is equivalent to a 1 in 20 chance the plane you're aboard, you're about to board will crash, says the lead study author, a distinguished professor of climate and atmospheric sciences at Scripps, Virabhadran Ramanathan is his name. We would never get on that plane with a 1 in 20 chance of it coming down, he says, but we're willing to send our children and grandchildren on that plane. Make sure they get snacks. News of the Warm, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, the Apologies of the Week. This transferred over from the News of the Godly file. Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Santa Fe, New Mexico, John C. Wester, this week published the names of 74 clergy who've been credibly accused of sexually abusing children, together with an apology to survivors, quote, for the pain and suffering you have endured. Who knew 
at an archdiocese in Santa Fe. The disclosure marks the first time that archdiocese has provided a list of accused priests, deacons, and religious brothers. Hey, brothers! Since the clergy sexual abuse crisis burst into public view in the early 1990s, Wester called the move a critical step in the archdiocese's attempt to improve transparency and promote healing. It is my deepest hope that our publication of this list will serve as an important step in healing for survivors, their families, and our church and communities, he wrote. PewDiePie. It's a uh, YouTube star, don't you know? Those words still sound unfamiliar in the mouth, don't they? Maybe not to you. Anyway, he apologized this week for using a racial slur during a live video stream broadcast on his YouTube channel. In the video, the YouTube star, whose real name is Felix Kjellberg, said he's really sorry for offending, hurting, or disappointing anyone with his use of the N-word, claiming it happened in the heat of the moment. Maybe you want to chill those moments a little bit, Felix. Just cool them down. I said the worst word I could possibly think of, and it just sort of slipped out, he said. I'm not going to make excuses to, to why I did it, because there are no excuses for it. Unquote. What does he do on his video thing? Well, he plays video games. That's right, you watch him play video games. That's a YouTube star. He played uh, a Battle Royale-style shooting game during the stream. He's heard using the N-word, then appears to quickly correct himself. I don't mean that in a bad way, he says. <laughs> Later on in the stream, he noted that, I sometimes forget that I'm live streaming. Yeah, I just think I'm standing here playing video games as a 28-year-old grown-up because... Although the original video was pulled from his channel, clips have popped up on Twitter. This is not the first time he's found himself in trouble. His channel, feed, by the way, features more than 57 million subscribers, people watching him playing video games. In January, he hosted a video featuring two men holding up a sign reading, Death to All Jews. <laughs> the men worked for the group Funny Guys, where users can pay money to have them hold up signs and dance. In February, following a Wall Street Journal report detailing nine videos depicting anti-Semitic jokes and Nazi imagery, Disney cut ties with PewDiePie. And YouTube confirmed it would cancel the second season of his reality show, Scare PewDiePie, and remove his channel from the premium advertising program. You can't, get, you can't watch premium ads now if you're watching PewDiePie. Instagram has apologized for taking down a photo of a boy with a facial disfigurement after another user reported it to the app's content moderation team. 12-year-old Harry Beswick was warned with Golden Haar Syndrome, which means he has no left eye, eye socket, nostril, or left ear. His mother runs a parenting blog and Instagram account where she posts about parenting Harry and his twin brother Oliver. She posted a photo with Instagram in which Harry was not wearing his prosthetic eye. Another Instagram user reported the image, and when Instagram's content moderation team reviewed it, they decided it breached community guidelines. She complained about the decision on social media with a tweet that was shared thousands of times. I'm beyond disgusted, she says. Instagram need to rectify this discrimination. Instagram's community guidelines banned photos deemed inappropriate for a diverse audience, including those that depict nudity, celebrate organized crime or terrorism, or glorify self-injury. The app bans content used to bully or harass anyone because of their race, gender, sexual orientation, religious affiliation, disability, or injury. The photo was removed for bullying, possibly because the reviewer misinterpreted the lighthearted comment that accompanied it as offensive. We mistakenly removed the photo but quickly restored it as soon as the mistake was brought to our attention, said an Instagram spokeswoman. We have apologized to the family. 
Once the photo was restored, Beswick edited the description to read, Note to the person who reported the last image of my son like this, It's his face. If you're offended, then scroll past. Shame on you. Dateline Irvine. It's in Orange County. No envy there. UC Irvine Chancellor Howard Gilman apologized this week for the unacceptable distress caused by students after the campus abruptly rescinded nearly 500 admissions offers this summer, pledging the mistakes would not recur. He said he could not fully explain what went wrong or craft a corrective plan until an internal audit is completed in the next month. The campus has readmitted all but about 50 students. We don't know. What was wrong with them? We're a university recognized for advancing the American dream, not impeding it, he said. Dream on. The Chelan County Sheriff's Office in Washington State has been forced forced to apologize. We love forced apologies, don't we? After an employee posted an offensive meme to its emergency management Facebook page. Why would you have that? The specific meme reads, quote, all lives splatter. Nobody cares about your protest. Keep your ass out of the road, unquote. The unnamed employee shared the meme from another Facebook page called, quote, Libtards, you gotta love them, unquote. The post went up on September 11th. Nice timing, babe. Chillin County Sheriff Brian Burnett said the post was sent to the employee's personal Facebook account and then shared by mistake on the department's emergency management page according to the Yakima Herald. So this is all taking place in Yakima. The message was deleted shortly after it was discovered. The department also posted an apology saying that the all-live splatter meme, quote, does not reflect the views of the sheriff's office. Burnett said changes have been implemented to make sure mistakes like this don't happen again. His statement did not mention whether the employee who posted the meme would be disciplined or whether they would be making other mistakes. ESPN says it has accepted the apology of its Sports Center host, Jamel Hill, for tweeting this week that President Donald Trump was, quote, a white supremacist and, quote, bigot, unquote. The network and Hill delivered statements shortly before midnight uh, early in the week, hours after White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders on Wednesday called Hill's comments outrageous and something that could be considered a fireable offense by ESPN. Hill publicly apologized for the trouble she'd brought on her employer. ESPN distanced itself from Hill's remarks and following Sanders' statement at the White House briefing did so again. We accept her apology. She acknowledged that her tweets crossed the line and has apologized for doing so, said ESPN. She tweeted later, My comments on Twitter expressed my personal beliefs. My regret is that my comments and the public way I made them painted ESPN in an unfair light, unquote. Owned by Disney. Hard to do that. Harvard's Kennedy School of Government rescinded a visiting fellowship offered to Chelsea Manning, the former military intelligence analyst who spent seven years in prison for leaking classified government secrets. The university had faced forceful backlash from CIA Director Mike Pompeo, among others. Quote, I now think that designating Chelsea Manning as a visiting fellow was a mistake for which I accept responsibility. That's the quote from Douglas Elmendorf, the school's dean. Hey, dean! In a 700-word statement released shortly after midnight Friday, Manning was one of four visiting fellows announced two days earlier by the Kennedy School's Institute of Politics. Elmendorf decided to withdraw the invitation after realizing that, quote, many people view a visiting t- 
fellow title as an honorific, though the school had not intended to honor Manning in any way or to endorse any of her words or deeds, unquote. She's still welcome to spend a day at the Kennedy School and speak at the forum for free, as opposed to the thousand bucks she'd get for being a visiting fellow. Quote, I apologize to her and to the many concerned people from whom I have heard today for not recognizing up front the full implications of our original invitation, Elmendorf said. Manning reportedly hung up on Elmendorf as he told her, get out of here. On Twitter, she accused the school of suppressing marginalized voices. The dean's decision came hours after Pompeo withdrew from a planned appearance at the Kennedy School and chastised the institution in a biting letter to the event's organizers. Pompeo, who earned a law degree from Harvard, branded Manning an American traitor whose actions and ethos contradicted the intelligence agency's most basic and sacred values. The San Diego desk suggests inviting Mitchell and Jessen to the Harvard School to espouse the CIA's sacred values. Florida Power and Light's failed consumer communication system is making hundreds of thousands of unlucky customers in South Florida even hotter than the lack of air conditioning. They're still without power after Hurricane Irma. The level of total miscommunication is unbelievable, said a resident without power. She said the FPL crew took one look at the poll and left, promising to return the next day, but they didn't. Florida Public Counsel J.R. Kelly said that customer communications nearly always fail in major storms. He saw cellular communications fail in South Florida in the four hurricanes of 2004 and Hurricane Wilma in 2005. If you don't have Internet, what good is the app, he asked. As well you might. FPL spokesman Rob Gould said the company is addressing the communications issue. How do you address it without the Internet? Oh, I see. But it's focused on meeting its own Sunday night deadline to have power restored. We apologize for any kind of miscommunications or cross-communications, said Gould. That is not our intent. Our intent is to get their lights on as quickly as possible. He acknowledged that the system shows customer power is on when it isn't. FPL had set up a mobile app encouraging its customers to download it before the storm. Customers were supposed to be able to report an outage and receive an estimate of when power might be restored. Customers said all they got were an automated message Wrong information or nothing. I'd, uh, I'd choose nothing. A husband and wife who posted prank videos on YouTube of themselves screaming at the couple's children and breaking their toys have been sentenced to five years of probation for child neglect. Heather and Mike Martin were uh, pleading, allowing them to maintain their innocence while acknowledging the evidence. They had uploaded videos to their YouTube channel called Daddy of Five, in them the parents screamed profanities to their children, in some cases moving them to tears. They later apologized. You think you had bad parents. Melbourne, New Jersey school district officials have offered apologies for a botched transportation situation during the first week of school, which was referred to by one parent as Busmageddon. Some students were dropped off at the wrong locations, some spending up to two hours on buses within Milburn, and youngsters were dropped off without adults waiting for them. District, uh, district officials say they are addressing the issues. School superintendent Christine Burton said the district has brought in a consultant to address the situation. That'll fix it. The star of The Great British Bake Off, it's a reality series about people trying to bake great stuff, Paul Hollywood is his name. I guess because Paul Beverly Hills was taken. He has apologized after being pictured wearing 
a Nazi uniform. He said the picture dated from 2003 when he went to a New Year's Eve party as a character from the 1980s BBC comedy series set in World War II. Hello, hello! And Nashville, Tennessee, the president of Lipscomb University is apologizing for a centerpiece in his home that was offensive to some. In an email to the university, which is a uh, private faith-based liberal arts institution in Nashville, President Randy Lowry said he invited African-American students to his home to discuss their experience at the school. Students voiced concerns about the centerpiece, which featured stalks of cotton. I could have handled the situation with more sensitivity, Lowry wrote. I sincerely apologize for the discomfort, anger, and disappointment we caused and solicit your forgiveness. Apparently, according to one of the students, not only was there a cotton centerpiece, there were no chairs, and uh, the menu was mac and cheese, collard greens, and cornbread. The night before, Latinos had dinner at his house. They had tacos. They didn't have the cotton centerpiece. Cotton picket centerpiece. Apologies the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. President Trump this week made a second apparent deal with two de- the two Democratic minority leaders of the Congress, Nancy Pelosi in the House and uh, Chuck Schumer in the Senate. The deal involves Trump's earlier statement that he was um, ending the program that, or the um, the executive order that President Obama had signed, delaying enforcement of any immigration and deportation regulations against the uh, hundreds of thousands of so-called dreamers, people who came into the United States as children, as illegal immigrants. Um, The agreement, unlike the previous agreement with Chuck and Nancy, as Trump calls them, um, which was reached at a meeting with leaders of both parties. This one was achieved at a dinner Wednesday night over Chinese food at the White House with only Schumer and Pelosi. Also this week, report in the New York Times of um, President Trump's fuming, towering anger over the appointment of Robert Mueller as a special prosecutor to investigate uh, any connection between Russia and the Trump campaign. Uh, He learned the news of Mueller's appointment as Attorney General Jeff Sessions was meeting with him on another matter. And according to the Times report, Trump erupted in a towering rage, calling Sessions an idiot. Trump's apparent deal, although there was a lot of backing and forthing between Trump's statements, the statements of the White House and the statements of Schumer and Pelosi as to whether a deal had already been arranged or whether there was just an agreement to try to reach a deal. But uh, Trump-supporting Republicans were outraged. Uh, Breitbart News referred to him as Amnesty Don in a screaming red headline, and right-wing commentator Ann Coulter tweeted that She was now among those who believed that Trump should be impeached. But he now seems to have a a friendly working relationship with the leaders of the opposition in Congress. 
a relationship which, if it doesn't deserve a love song, at least deserves a like song. West Wing Dinner Stir-fried duck Chuck and Nancy Nancy and Chuck We talk turkey Got Daka unstuck and some chocolate pie with Nancy and Chuck. So-called allies mired in muck. Got a deal from Nancy and Chuck from Spicer and Priebus. Loyalty I never felt All that I'm trying to do Is play the hand that I dealt Session's an idiot McConnell's a bore Murdoch and I can Can't call anymore Man is a loose cannon. He calls me a cuck. Don't hear any of that talk. From Nancy and Chuck. Chuck and Nancy. Know them by name. If it don't work out. I've got two more people to blame. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole Jr. On the day that all eyes were supposed to be on Lima and the awarding of the Paris 2024 and LA 2028 Games, the International Olympic Committee risked further embarrassment. Fresh claims emerged surrounding the alleged buying of votes by bid teams for Rio 2016 and Tokyo 2020. This, according to The Guardian, further scrutiny will be applied to those decisions after investigations suggested a central figure in the corruption scandal bought expensive watches and jewelry just days after both votes. The revelations overshadowed Wednesday's award ceremony of the two bids. The Guardian has seen documents which allege that Papa Masata Diak, the son of the f- disgraced former IOC member Lamine Diak, spent hundreds of thousands of euro in French jewelry shops around the time of the Rio and Tokyo campaigns. 
The Brazilian Federal Prosecutor's Office, which compiled the documents based on French prosecutors' investigations, why it's an international prosecutorial conspiracy, drew the conclusion that payments could have been made to Masata Diak by Rio 2016 and Tokyo 2020 with the intention to buy votes and the support of Lamine Diak, who held particular influence within the IOC. Quote, wonder, it doesn't explain why he held particular influence. Because he could get your watches. Last year, The Guardian revealed a seven-figure payment from Tokyo's Olympic bid team to an account named Black Tidings linked to Diak during Japan's successful race for 2020. Those payments were made in two installments. The documents based on the French investigations allege that shortly after the second payment, Black Tidings transferred 85,000 euro to a company in Paris in order to pay for the purchases of luxury goods and jewelry made in its shop. Purchases by Masada Diak. The Black Tidings allegations were part of a parliamentary inquiry in Japan. The country's prime minister has promised to cooperate with the French prosecutors who are leading the investigation into possible vote buying. But the new revelations from Brazil will renew the scrutiny applied to the host of the next Olympics and how exactly it won the bid. Diak has not responded to the latest claims. He had previously robustly denied any wrongdoing, denying the allegations against him as, quote, the biggest lie in the history of world sport. Well, of course, it would have to be because the Olympics, it's a movement, and we all need one every day. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend, the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Radioactive contamination following the Fuk disaster in Japan never reached unsafe levels in the North Pacific Ocean for either marine life or human health. That's according to a British Columbia scientist. That's the good news. Chemical oceanographer Jay Cullen from the University of Victoria monitored levels of contamination from radioactive isotopes since the meltdown of the three reactors. We're confident in saying that the levels we see now in our part of the Pacific from Fook are below those levels that represent significant health risk either to the Pacific Ocean or to human beings in Canada or the West Coast of North America, said Cullen. He's one of nine international authors of a study published last week on the findings in environmental science and technology. For at least two years before a South Carolina nuclear power construction project was abandoned, its owners had a report that they intended to keep secret. The report showed the reactors couldn't be completed as planned. That was revealed by an attorney for a State legislative, state legislative panel that's investigating the um, mess. The report is very, very troubling, said Scott Elliott. That's two, two varies, one troubling, hired by the House for the hearings. That report was designed to never see the light of day, he says. State-owned Santee Cooper and South Carolina Electric and Gas hired Bechtel in 2015 to assess construction on two new reactors at VC Summer Nuclear Station. The utilities were briefed on the findings later that year. Essentially, the report says this wasn't going to work. If things don't change dramatically, you'll never finish these projects, Elliot said. 
Its findings included a lack of proper oversight by the majority owner, South Carolina Electricity and Gas. They should have disclosed the report's existence as they successfully sought approval over the last two years to spend more on the project. Instead, executives told state regulators they were confident in the completion dates, said Elliott. Legislators accused SCE&G executives of intentionally hiding the report from regulators and lawmakers, withholding information that could have resulted in no votes. The CEO of the uh, utility's parent company, Scanna, not Scamma, told legislators the report was confidential because it was intended to be used in a potential lawsuit against the site's main contractor, Westinghouse, which had filed for bankruptcy. Quote, it wasn't secret, he said. It was confidential, unquote. Elliott said the Bechtel report puts into question every decision made by the utilities over at least the past two years. Customers have already paid more than $2 billion on interest costs through a series of rate hikes since 2009. The project, which is not going to be completed, accounts for 18% of customers' electric bills. The uh, CEO of the utility, blamed the failure on Westinghouse's bankruptcy and said no one deserved to be fired. Maybe jail, but or maybe paid a huge bonus. The retiring chief executive of South Carolina's state-owned utility, Santee Cooper, will be paid more than $1 million in the first year of his retirement following the abandonment of that nuclear power project. He'll receive nearly $800,000 annually for the next two decades, then $345,000 yearly for the rest of his life. The western German city of Aachen, Gesundheit, has started issuing free iodine tablets to some half a million residents and people living nearby because an aging Belgian nuclear plant is seen as a risk. Iodine can reduce the risk of thyroid cancer after a release of radiation. Clean, cheap, too uh, too expensive to meter. Our friend, the Atom.
ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America, via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave. Can you hear it clearly? On the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free, 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 free podcast at Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, tuna.com, iTunes, and wwno.org. And it'd be just like the Envy Machine being turned off if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago in exile, and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this thing that you hear, whatever you want to call it, the playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts just in time for Halloween. Wow, think of it. All at harryshare.com. And me, I'm on Twitter, <laughs> still, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>